Hello and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, the official podcast of Ingenious Prep and your go-to resource for expert admissions strategy. My name is Noelle, and each episode, I'll bring you behind-the-scenes knowledge from former admissions officers about their first-hand experiences reviewing applications. Our strategies have helped countless students gain acceptance to top universities, and we're here to help your student gain that competitive edge and do the same. If you would like to set up a complimentary strategy call, simply follow the link in our episode description, and our expert team of enrollment counselors will work with you to create a personalized plan for admission into your student's dream school. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me today for another exciting episode. So recently, we've been getting a ton of questions about how to stand out in highly competitive elite top college admissions. So I thought it'd be the perfect opportunity to bring out Mariana, who answered all of your questions, drawing from her experience at the Stanford Admissions Office. And she had some great strategy and tips for you all like this one. If we start from the point of view of, of the, the college application, the extracurricular activities section and extracurricular activities in general are one of the very few places in a college admissions file where admissions officers start to get a sense of who the student is. And so admissions officers will ultimately look for some evidence of, of breadth and depth across those interests. And this? So much of what I do on the candidacy building side is really helping guide students towards developing a really good sense of their interests. And once we have a sense of, of those interests, really starting to apply a strategic lens to the activities, it may lead them to find a passion or make unexpected connections across disciplines. It, it can help you stand out as a unique candidate. We have so much in store for you today. I hope you have your pen and paper ready. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Hi, Mariana. How are you today? Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to sit down with you. Absolutely. I'm so excited. We have lots to cover today. But before we start, can you briefly introduce yourself, share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Sure. My name is Mariana Irizarry, and I'm a California native. I grew up outside of Los Angeles and stayed within the state for college. I pursued a degree in political science from Stanford and then went on to pursue a master's in education policy analysis from the Stanford Graduate School of Education. During my time at Stanford, I really focused my studies on issues around equity in education and choice in, in public schools. And I went to Harvard Law School thinking that I would find some way to intersect those interests. And I think somewhere in the middle of my first year of law school, I fell in love with contracts and negotiations. And so I ended up pursuing a, a career in private practice in New York after I graduated from law school. I worked as an, a transactional attorney, both in New York and in Miami in the mergers and acquisitions field, and did so for a number of years before I transitioned my career back into the, the field of education in nonprofit management, where I manage the regional operations of Teach for America Miami-Dade. I was there for a number of years and then took a step back at my career and started to think about the things that really kind of made me tick. And I found that what excited me the most about the work that I was doing was actually advising my colleagues on their next steps, whether it was seeking internal promotions or finding their path to graduate school. Those were the moments that I found sort of most engaging. And so I started a career in admissions work at Stanford as a part-time admissions reader and eventually transitioned here to Ingenious 
where I now work as a senior counselor and advise students on their candidacy for college applications. And during application season, I lean heavily into the essay writing process. Perfect. So the ever-burning question from parents when it comes to college applications is always, how do I help my students stand out? How can we develop that competitive edge? And we always tell them that it is absolutely imperative to start early. So for a ninth grader who is looking to build their profile to be the most competitive for top elite schools, what is your advice for them? Starting early is very important, but I also think it's important to sort of take a step back and think about where our target is or what our goal is. If we take a step back and think about it logically, when we're talking about highly selective elite schools, you can pretty much count on a couple of truths, right? Which is that the pool of applicants is going to be very competitive, meaning that a typical transcript will be flawless or nearly flawless and filled with very rigorous academic coursework. And, and similar accolades, right? So Dean's List, National Merit Scholarship, you know, the, those types of sort of standard awards and accolades that high school students can achieve. So if, if we start from the point of view of, of the, the college application, thinking about it, like the extracurricular activities section and extracurricular activities in general are one of the very few places in a college admissions file where admissions officers start to get a sense of who the student is. How we spend our time outside of the work or school is reflective of our values or our priorities. And so admissions officers will ultimately look for some evidence of, of breadth and depth across those interests. And what this means is that students should be able to show progression in their contributions to an organization. You know, whether it's progressing from initially being a member of an organization to eventually leading the club or the organization, and ideally working within the organization or spearheading projects that have contributions that are lasting and, and measurable. You're going to probably hear me say the word measurable a lot because I think it's important to think about the impact that you're having and, and the work that you're doing in ways that you can sort of quantify it so that someone who isn't familiar with your background can understand the depth of the contribution, right? A college application doesn't afford students a ton of space to really write in depth paragraphs and narrating, you know, their impact in, in the activity section. They're, they're limited to characters. And so being able to point to measurable impact usually goes a long way to painting sort of a very clear picture of how a student spends their time and the impact that they're having. So much of what I do on the candidacy building side is really helping guide students towards developing a really good sense of their interests. And once we have a sense of, of those interests, really starting to apply a strategic lens to the activities and helping them identify intellectual curiosities, it may lead them to find a passion or make unexpected connections across disciplines. You know, that's really the ideal place to be is when you can fuse two interests that you have in a somewhat unexpected way. It, it can help you stand out as a unique candidate. So, for example, if we have a ninth grade student that is passionate about engineering and they're participating in multiple clubs that are oriented towards engineering, I would encourage a student or I might encourage a student to think about he or she might flex different muscles within the same field. So if in one club they're taking the lead with building the robot, which is really, you know, about implementing design effectively in one club, I might challenge that same student to play a leading role in the design phase of another club, right? So that, that way they're, they're building the capacity across two sort of very different but important skills to have in robotics. And 
if you sort of stop and think about it, one can quickly start to imagine how gaining valuable experiences within these two areas can scale over the course of a couple of years, right? So having the perspective of how design and implementation work in tandem may create opportunities for more effective leadership within a club. It can also lead a student down a path of potentially codifying their knowledge and sharing it with others. You know, for example, creating like a how-to manual with an eye towards publication or developing some sort of framework or lesson plans for local middle school students who are interested in STEM but may not have access to STEM materials that are oriented towards that age group. Or, you know, even potentially if they end up being a student that really kind of gravitates towards the logistics aspects of projects, potentially like organizing a district-wide robotics competition. For a student who might be more entrepreneurial, the push might come in the form of developing a product that helps fill a need somehow, like a robot that interacts with young patients in a hospital that might help ease a child's anxiety during their stay. So really the creativity comes once we've really identified those interests and start layering and strategy on top of those interests. I really love all the examples you shared, especially how students confuse many different interests in unexpected ways to really stand out as a unique candidate. But as you mentioned, there really isn't much space in an application to go in depth. So I imagine that if these activities weren't presented in the right way, it can seem all over the place or perhaps the student is even coming across as a high achiever with no personality. So what is the best way for a student to represent themselves and their accomplishments in a way that translates well to admissions officers? So within an activities list, for example, it's really about the verbiage that's used to describe the activities, wanting to think about active leading verbs, something similar to what young professionals would put in a resume when seeking to define their impact or paint a picture for someone who's not really familiar with their work. But I think really the other aspects of the application where the personality and voice can sort of shine through is in the essays, right? Whether it's writing a a note to a prospective roommate or creating like a top 10 list. I've seen some really interesting top 10 lists that are that are more than just bucket lists, if you will, and that really kind of start to paint a picture of who the student is besides their academic achievements, right? And I think developing an authentic voice across the, the persona is also important. An authentic voice that comes through in every part of the writing. And that tends to require a bit of time to really sort of develop that authenticity in the file. And given that interest exploration is so important in developing a student's application persona, what do you recommend the timeline be for a student? Grade nine is typically a wonderful time to do a lot of interest exploration, try a few different things and sort of see what sticks. Midway through grade 10, you know, we should start to have at least a a sense of of one solid interest, maybe two, with the ultimate goal of of developing at most three interests pretty deeply. And that's not to say that that should come at the exclusion of other interests, but time is finite. And so I think thinking strategically and centering sort of the bulk of the time that's devoted outside of school. I'm, you know, working with a student right now who is incredibly versatile and has very disparate interests across a variety of fields and thinking through how we might combine an interest in sports, for example, with an aptitude in math and an interest in technology, right? And so those are seemingly very disparate interests, but, you know, there's a way to start exploring how mathematics 
or predictive analytics might be used in the sports realm to help improve athletic performance, right? And so starting to do a lot of research and reading around those areas to see if this is something that is not only personally exciting to the student, but also intellectually captivating, right? Because if we're going to devote a significant amount of time over a number of years, it's got to be something that is interesting and, and engaging for the student because otherwise they're not going to get as much out of the experience. They won't be able to give as much to the experience because they're not as engaged as they would be otherwise. And, you know, as a result, when things get challenging, it's also going to be more difficult to sort of overcome or navigate those challenges if a student isn't really passionate about the work that they're doing. I love that you mentioned passion and drive within the context of pursuing a genuine interest because that's something we frequently talk about in our episodes. You know, oftentimes students are more focused on what they think colleges want to see from them instead of showing admissions officers more of their genuine self and what they are truly interested in. And I know you mentioned prior a key way to showcase your passion and personality even is through essay writing. So can you share with us some other common pitfalls you've seen when it comes to essay writing and tying the whole application together? I think Mark Twain said it best when he stated, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so I wrote a long one instead. Uh, Effective application writing requires the following. Time, I think some level of emotional detachment and strategy. An effective application essay will give admissions readers insights into a student's intellectual vitality, really what makes them tick, their passions, their character and personal context, and, and their desire for future impact. Time is absolutely critical. There are so many times students approach essay writing like they do any other writing, and they craft these beautiful narratives that in the end do nothing but tell an engaging story without really providing any meaningful insight as to who they are and and what makes them tick. So I have found it both in my own writing processes and also in the writing processes of, of the students I've counseled. Getting to the kernel of an essay usually requires many iterations. So having the time to aptly develop the essay topics is important. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I've you know, started writing something. I've gotten basically to, to a point where I'm like, and this is it. And then I reread everything. and I'm like, oh, wait, this last sentence that I <laughs> intended to be my conclusion is actually where the good stuff should begin. This is like the, the nugget, the kernel. And I think you have to allow yourself enough time to be able to get to that place and then start rebuilding from there. And I think this segues to the next point, which is emotional detachment. And this is perhaps the most difficult part to execute. As a student and a writer, you have to be willing to cut something or move away from your original thought if the adaptation serves a broader interest as making a more effective essay. And, and this is really hard because, you know, it, so many times we are compelled by this one experience or this one moment and we think, ah, this is the aha moment and this is really what I want to center it around. But if you sort of peel back the layers around the prose that we've written around it, a significant portion of the time being that actual kernel was maybe like the inspiration, but that it's taking up valuable real estate in your essay writing space that doesn't really serve a function. And, and I think being able to say, okay, this isn't about me. This is about the process and making my essays as strong as possible and, and being open to being detached about that thing is very important. 
And then lastly, their strategy, right? Every essay question has a purpose and an effective application presents multiple facets of a person while remaining cohesive to the overall application persona. So I'll give an example. An applicant who utilizes the how did you spend your last two summers type of question to discuss how they socialized with friends and relaxed on the beach or traveled with friends and family has underutilized an opportunity to showcase how maybe they spent part of their summer developing project plans for clubs that they're leading the following school year or volunteering locally or any other activity that somehow ties back to that extracurricular activity part of the application that we discussed earlier. So I would say that if there's going to be a pitfall in the application process, I have found that it tends to really be that students have either not devoted the time they haven't really let the evolution of the editing process really maximize their potential. And lastly, that, you know, they've underutilized questions that are really kind of designed to continue to assess alignment within the application. So not thinking strategically as a whole. And you mentioned speaking about a student's volunteering experience in an essay, which is a perfect segue to my next question here. I know that you love helping students develop and curate very meaningful community impact leadership projects. And I know that's something that schools like Stanford value very heavily. So what constitutes a very meaningful volunteering project and How can students go about developing this experience? That's a great question. I truly believe that the best community impact projects are those that are founded upon a strong understanding of their context, you know, like uh, the landscape, if you will, with a clearly defined goal that calls upon allies to help along the way. So if, for example, you're a student who's passionate about inequities in education, invest some time in evaluating the issue. First, understand why you are motivated to have an impact in this area. And it's important to do so because it requires a self-awareness that can be helpful in defining your potential for impact, right? You will need to lean on this why, as I talked about earlier, and this passion when you're trying to convince others to join or support your efforts. And more importantly, your personal why is what will help you get through the rough patches when you hit unexpected bumps along the way. Secondly, I think understanding the systemic factors that are at play is important in a broad sense. So continuing with his example of educational inequity, you know, asking questions like, is it access to books? Is it access to supports that reinforce classroom lessons? Could it be early detection and learning differences? You know, the list goes on. The goal is not to solve for all factors, but rather get a sense of the complexity of the issue that you're trying to tackle and the different layers of influence that you may need to tap in order to have an amplified impact in general, right? And I have found that the narrower the proposed area of impact, the more likely a student will be able to be effective, particularly if they're you know, going to need to navigate bureaucratic systems like a school district, for example, to implement a plan. Taking the time to develop a solid plan with measurable goals that can be tracked over time is really important. And you really can't do that unless you have an understanding of the complexity of the issue and where your idea, where your proposed solution fits into that complexity. And it's important to be able to say, I want to be able to define my impact or this is how I think I can measure my impact because unless you're willing or able to measure, you won't have a sense if your efforts are are having an impact at all, right? Like you might lead on some qualitative anecdotes. In the example, again, of a school context, if you're implementing 
some sort of after-school reading program and are relying on sort of the feedback of the children that you're working with, while some of those anecdotes may be powerful, you're going to end up spending too much time in an essay or too much time in your activities list trying to describe that. Whereas if you had some sort of measurable impact, you can say, you know, I implemented a program that impacted 60 students in year one and grew to impact 180 in, in year two. I partnered with one school year one and grew these partnerships across six different schools in years two and three. So learning to think about your goals in measurable ways is is really important. And then the third thing that I think is really important to think about are allies. Thinking about which allies you might need, but also which ones you might already have at your disposal. So mapping out networks is important. A student's network is not only really their own personal network and, you know, their peers, but also that of their parents, right? And having the awareness that potentially parents can be helpful, their their professional networks can be helpful is important, I think, to keep in mind. Asking questions like, is there a teacher or a mentor outside of school that can help support the endeavor? Thinking about somebody that you can sort of lean on to brainstorm to potentially facilitate introductions is important, particularly, you know, for projects that require administrative sign-offs where teachers or counselors might be connected. Understanding what connections you need to be able to like navigate a system is important. So maybe that requires that you befriend your college counselor or more actively engage with the school principal or the headmaster. And at the school level, I think it's also important to consider if there are already service clubs trying to affect change in this area. And if so, what are the strengths of the approach that they're taking? And are there areas where you could possibly innovate? Is there a collaboration that's possible? Outside of school, understanding the nonprofit landscape trying to tackle the same issue is important as well because you don't want to duplicate efforts, but rather complement and build upon them. So in summary, really the most effective projects are those that have invested the time up front to really understand the landscape and as a result, been able to narrowly define the area of impact and finally have thought strategically enough about the allies that they might need in support of those projects. And when it comes down to it, I had a listener ask, how important of a component is volunteering experience? So let's say we have two very similar students, but the only difference is their volunteering in that one has service experience and the other does not. In that case, is the student with the volunteering experience the one that gets admitted? Well, I think it depends. It's all about personal context. And so what I mean by that is that, yes, in a situation where you have two students attending similarly privileged private schools, taking similar course loads, where one is very involved in the community project, some sort of service orientation, and the other one is not, then yes, the student who is involved in those extracurricular activities will stand out as more competitive when compared directly against a student who has not. But let me be very clear, like in the admissions process, it's not a comparative analysis, right? It's all about the individual and have they maximized the opportunities that have been afforded to them. But you asked me specifically about like, well, you know, if you have two students in, in the similar background, yes, it is better to be more engaged if you have the opportunities and the bandwidth to do so. And speaking of standing out, from your experience at the Stanford Admissions Office, what were the qualities that really made a student exceptional? Or what factors or qualities of a student's application made you go, wow, yes, I want to advocate for the student to get admitted? 
Institutions of higher education at their core are about preparing the next generation of leaders across all industries and all disciplines to grapple with dynamic, multifaceted problems that are constantly evolving at high rates of change, right? And so against that context, admissions officers are asked to create a mosaic with each class that they admit, a mosaic that's diverse in every respect, that's balanced and responsive to the university's priorities. If you flip this perspective and then look at the admissions process through the lens of a prospective student, those that approach their high school journey from an evaluative perspective, those that ask questions like, am I making the most of the resources afforded to me? What are my unique strengths and interests and how can I best leverage them to make an impact? What important lessons am I learning from both my successes and my challenges and how will I lean in when I am confronted with challenges? Those are the students that tend to fare better in competitive processes across institutions than those who don't really engage on that level or think about these kinds of questions until it comes time to write their personal statement. And so that's generally the the advice that I would give anybody because there are certain factors that you just cannot control for, right? You cannot control what the university is prioritizing in any given year. You cannot control for the context that you were born into and the system that you are a part of. You can control for how you leverage the tools afforded you, right? And so let's work with the things that we can control and put our best foot forward. And I think that those who do that hard work throughout the process end up generally just be really competitive applicants who will land at several fine institutions, right? And they will have options that will be great options for them, options that they'll be thrilled with. But you have to invest that time and be willing to sort of engage in that hard work throughout the process. I love that. And I think it's something that our former admissions officers are so great at is really being able to pinpoint what it is that will make that particular student stand out within that mosaic, as you said, especially coming from that firsthand experience of being in that admissions office and making those decisions on that incoming class. And I think our key to success really comes from taking the time to get to know the student, their qualities, values, and then strategizing to make all of that shine even better brighter. Yeah. And it's true because if you think about the world, right, the world is filled with people with all different skills and different aptitudes, right? And if a college class is supposed to sort of be a microcosm of that, a sampling of that type of representation, then there's room for every type of skill, right? Every type of passion. So it would be, you know, difficult to push somebody who's very clearly focused on and passionate about research to push that person to sort of engage in a totally unfamiliar area that is not really something that's going to captivate them, right? Tutoring, for example, if that's not somehow related to the work that they're doing or what they're passionate about. Now, if the tutoring happens to also be in teaching young students how to research or the basics of lab work, for example, then that's a different story, right? But it has to be tailored to the student because that's how they best shine is when they're doing something that they're passionate about. That's when sort of the magic starts to happen. And it is very much an iterative process. I'm so glad you said that. It's an iterative process that is really tailored to the student, but always with this idea in mind of like, how can we help you be the strongest version of you? 
I love that phrase, the strongest version of you just really emulates perfectly what we do for our students. And now thinking back to your time at the Stanford admissions office, are there any standout applications that really stuck with you? Do you have any examples that you can share with us? Yes, man, so many. The thing that I'll say is that no matter how dark the local and world news got, I always found admissions work to be so enriching and and hopeful. And the files that have really stayed with me were those, these peak high school years were indelibly impacted by COVID. You know, those students who became cognizant of the magnitude of the health risks taken on by essential workers and somehow managed to organize cohorts of students around the, the country online to make masks and then donate them to local businesses. You know, those who sought remote research internships, trying to understand how COVID was disrupting behavioral economic models and supply chains. And I think at the core of, of the stories that touched me during my work at Stanford is really how in the midst of all of that, you know, where, where there is a will, there's a way to find a way to contribute, to find a way to be selfless or to think about how to make meaning, how, you know, for those that wanted to like lean into their research curiosities. Right. And so getting creative, I think, is really sort of at the core of of those stories and persistence. Right. And so I think about all of those things when working with the students in my portfolio. And, you know, now as a senior counselor at Ingenious Prep, I think about how lucky am I that I get to help those students, future leaders kind of forge their path, think about the impact that they are going to have in the world. You know, really, how lucky am I to be able to do that? I think that's such a heartwarming answer. And I just feel like your students are so incredibly lucky to be able to work with you. Of course, not only coming from that Stanford admissions office background, but your warm and supportive energy is so encouraging. And I just love getting to chat with you today. So thank you so much for sitting down with us. But before we end, though, I'd love to ask you one final question. And this is something I love asking all of my guests. And that is, If you could leave our listeners with one key piece of advice, and this can be about anything college admission, what would that be? I would say start early, lean into challenges and find your spark. When I put myself in the position of a high schooler, I felt many times like a fish swimming upstream, right? There's a lot of noise. I think in my own personal experience, it really was an exercise in allowing myself to be open to forging a past that was my own. And that past might be, you know, very different than what is considered traditional. And I think when I put myself in the the perspective of parent, which I am, to very young children, but, you know, it's hard as a parent to sometimes take your foot off the brakes and kind of let it go. But I think the more open we are to learning and finding our own way, I think the more productive the work will be. And that's probably easier said than done. But it's something that I think has served me well in my my own life. I mean, I've managed to transition a career of over 15 years across industries, having worked in two very elite law firms in two different contexts, working as a part of a management team for an elite nonprofit organization, doing very important work in education to doing admissions work. I think had I looked at my 22-year-old self and told myself that this is where I would end up, I wouldn't have believed myself, you know, because I thought that there was only one way, but life has a way of showing you otherwise. And I think the more open we can be to that, the more meaningful the journey becomes. (music) 
thank you so much for joining us today. And if you would like to speak with one of our experts, you can set up a complimentary strategy call with one of our enrollment counselors by following the link in our episode description. And for more information and access to additional resources, you can register for our webinars, which is also linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, you can email me directly at noelle.kim at ingeniousprep.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Admissions Office. And don't forget to follow the podcast so you're notified every time a new episode is available. That's all for now. And I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.